This is the T Smart Network. You read me. What up? It's your boy Big Facts back with you with another episode of You Read Me. Um, yeah, man. You know how we do. Usually get this thing popping off with a little music segment Just to let you know what I'm listening to What I've been listening to over the past couple of weeks Is the last episode I'm Still rocking that Voices of Heroes uh, With Little Dirk and Little Baby Still listening to J. Cole Benny's still in heavy rotation I heard Freestyle Freestyle was crazy I wish it would have been a little bit longer uh, I think that was more one of the Kind of like the old freestyles Where you know people from the south used to really spit Then the people from the north They used to be like you know, hit you with a verse, something they written down, which you figure out a lot of freestyles when they go in six, seven minutes of written, which is cool. But I still think Wayne just be freestyling. That's why he might be in the top two to three ever. But one day I'll give Wayne respect. That's neither here nor there. We're not here to talk about Wayne. But I will say, I popped in that Polo G, and I didn't really know what to expect because I wasn't up on Polo G. And man, dude blew my mind, especially with that first track, Painting Pictures. Like, I thought it would be some cute, cool music. That was kind of what I was expecting. But I didn't realize, like, his bars was on that level. Like, this kid really be spitting. He really be putting words together. He really be going through, telling stories, especially when you get out with that painting pictures. Um, a lot of shit he talk about is the same kind of shit that they're talking about on Voices of Heroes with Little Baby and Little Dirt. Kid Young, definitely one of the up-and-comers. I heard the Rap Star track, but I didn't think the album would be like this. You know what I'm saying? I like a ton of joints, like that painting pictures. Um, I like the Toxic, the Epidemic, um, which another one, that Heart of a Giant. Like, he has so many cuts on here, but like I said, I didn't expect for his bars to be on that level, and I thought I had discovered somebody new. You know what I'm saying? I'm posting it on Instagram, putting little verses, telling my homeboys about it, and I'm thinking that it's somebody that not not a lot of people knew about. This nigga sales, like, <laughs> he was like the top person, top album that dropped on Spotify, so Hall of Fame, man. Go check that out if you hadn't. I, I thought I was early. Actually, I'm really late. But I was really impressed with that kid's flow, the way he spits, uh, the song structure, and to be that young. I hate to see what happened to him in Miami. Kind of seems like some bullshit, but, you know, if that's your, you know, release party and you that successful with an album, and from all that I saw, it looks like it's successful, and then you get locked up on some BS in Miami, that, that kind of sucks. But you know how it goes. But, yeah, definitely, if you hadn't checked out that Hall of Fame Polo G, definitely recommend you check that out. Um, also checked out that Migos I'm not a big Migos fan I don't listen to a lot of Migos tracks uh, Just not my thing I ain't got nothing against the Migos Just not something that I really listen to like that But I went ahead and I checked that Culture 3 out You know what I'm saying Just wanted to see what it sounded like For one I'll say It sounded like they were actually rapping Like I don't feel like I've heard Migos rap like this Or maybe they have And just on the commercial shit I don't hear them rap like this As I said I'm not a Migos fan but just listening through this album, I felt like, man, they rap way better than I thought they they did. You know what I mean? So pleasantly surprised with that. Still, I don't think it's anything that I go back to. I will say Cardi B might have the hardest verse on the goddamn album with that type shit. Uh, Cardi B went crazy on that shit. But I think one of my favorite joints on there is the track with uh, 
with Juice World, antisocial. I like that Migos, um, antisocial with Juice World. Like I said, it's not even like I wouldn't be opposed to listen to it. It's nothing that I'm just gonna directly go back to. Like ah, I need to go listen to that Migos again. It ain't gonna be none of that. But I will say that I was pleasantly surprised with the album. It sounded way better than I thought it would. Uh, way better than I was expecting. Uh, they rap way better than I thought they rap. Um, yeah, I think Quavo will start too. I like I relate more to what Quavo be saying than like Takeoff and Offset, but I think Quavo is kind of like the total package of the group. So, also when uh, I checked out that her album, it came out this week, and I wanted to see what she was talking about. It was like they're really trying to push her, and I, I thought it was cool, it was cool, laid back, relaxing album, something to chill to. Um, I don't think I was in a bright mood to listen to it when I was listening to it, so it's probably better than I initially thought. I hadn't had time to really give it a, another listen while I'm really sitting down and relaxing and just chilling so I could really sit on it. But from what I heard, man, it looked like it was a, it sounded like it was a good album. So I um, also got some good features on it. Got Corday, uh, one of my favorite young and upcoming rappers. Got a little baby on it, of course. But like I said, it sounded good, but I need to really sit back and listen to it. Bringing me to another guy I talked about on the last podcast. I was talking about the Lloyd Banks, you know, I was kind of shitting on it a little bit. Wasn't really meaning to because I thought it was, you know, what I expected from Lloyd Banks. Maybe I just expected more, but I think it's like what I said with the Her album. When I was listening to it, I wasn't really sitting down and listening to it to really break down the wordplay and the bars. I just kind of listened to the beats and knew that, you know, Lloyd Banks is going to spit. He's going to spit bars. You catch him here or there. But I didn't really sit and listen to what he was doing. And man, heavy, heavy bars. Heavy bars. I mean, I think the, a part of it is some of the same things like I said with Little Baby, if you're not really sitting down listening to it, trying to catch it, then... Lloyd Banks kind of mumble, he kind of talk low, he kind of get lost in this kind of flow because he starts going and he says so many words in every bar. It's like crazy, right? So you got to really be ready to sit down, listen, and digest what he's saying. But man, when I got in a different headspace and listened to that thing, I still think that he could have kind of changed up his flow, uh, add some modern melodies or something. But this is just like a raw mixtape, man. He was going crazy. Freddie Gibbs go crazy on here with that empathy. Um, you definitely got that from Mile to High with Benny the Butcher. Anything he on, he going crazy. That fool with Styles P. Ransom on here. And even the ones that he he's just going crazy on every verse. It's just so much that he's saying in every verse. You know what I'm saying? He's, he's jam-packing so much. It's just... So many bars, so heavy. He's he's really doing some at least spitting, and I can't be a hypocrite and be criticizing his album when I like praise like Benny and Westside and all those dudes for the bars that they be spitting. When I first listened to that shit, I just didn't sit on, I didn't listen. So yeah, man, it's gonna be a theme of this podcast, man. I got a lot wrong last podcast. We're gonna be addressing that, but I was I was probably wrong on the Lloyd Banks. Uh, not on the fact that it's not like something that's in 04, 05. It's more of the fact it's like the shit that I would like back in 04 and 05. It's like a mixtape, a raw mixtape where you're just doing what you want. You ain't worried about a single. You're just getting on there, spitting heavy bars, just letting it loose, doing what you want to do. So, shout out to Lloyd Banks, man. That's act, that was actually a better product than I gave it credit for. And I want to definitely go back and retract that and let it be known that, man, the bars on there is 
another level of elite. You know what I mean? He's really doing a lyrical exercise and showing y'all that he can real really spit. And when he ain't got the pressures of, you know, the labels trying to make him put out a single or, you know, trying to make him put out a certain style that he's not comfortable with. He can just let loose. He can just rap. He can just spit. You see what happened, man. He was going crazy on there, man. So shout out to that. Shout out to uh Lloyd Banks, man. That if you ain't checked that album out, definitely um, go check out his album. Man, I forgot the title. It's called uh, Let's see, it's called Yeah, The Curse of the Inevitable. Yes, check out that Curse of the Inevitable. Go ahead and get that Migos Culture 3 a listen. Definitely listen to that Polo G Hall of Fame. That shit right there went crazy. And then you got the Her album, Back of My Mind. If you get some extra time, man, go ahead and check out the boy Ransom, man. He got that album seven. You know, he was real busy last year in the beginning of this year. He been putting out little EPs and, uh, you know what I'm saying, little seven, ten packs, you know what I'm saying, throwing them out there. But he been putting out a lot of work since 2020, man. I, I always like Ransom. I like Ransom back when he was fucking with Joe Button, man. I've always been a fan of uh, his style. But, yeah, man, he's putting a lot of projects out. But that seven album, that's his most recent album I was listening to. Uh, some nice joints on that, man. So, yeah, definitely go check that out. But other than that, man, hadn't been listening to a ton of music. I just caught those and still bumping the same shit. But we'll say I, I am excited for that uh, Tyler, the Creator joint. Uh, you know, I've been really sleeping on Tyler, the Creator. But Tyler, the Creator, that nigga is spit. And he creative as fuck. I don't think that people really give Tyler. I mean, he has his fan base. But as old heads, I don't think the old heads really dig into Tyler and give Tyler the respect he deserves, man. So I'm going to go back and I'm going to start. I'm going to listen to some of his old catalog before his new shit drop. And I'm going to really see what I might have just been discriminating against Tyler for no reason. So I'm going to really go back, listen to the tracks, kind of see what he was on before the end. So I'm anticipating this new album, man. It sounds like he might be on some heavy bars type shit, I mean, you know. So I'm I'm definitely interested in that. I want to see what he got because I ain't never really gave truly gave him a chance to see what he how he really spit. So definitely gonna do that. But other than that, man, uh, what other big news in there? Oh yeah, my boy Floyd Money Mayweather came back to the ring, baby. And it's funny, man. I'm listening to all the criticism of this fight. You know, talking about his legacy, talking about he's disgracing boxing, and it's literally some of the dumbest shit I've ever heard personally. I mean, because if you look at it, boxing is disgracing itself. What is the reason that everyone is really getting into this celebrity boxing and you'll run out to pay for or to see Tyson versus Roy Jones or you will go see Jake Paul versus Nate Robinson or whatever? Why? Why are these fights popular? They're popular because boxing is corrupt and boxing has been corrupt for years. You can't trust any decision. They're all like celebrity exhibition match where they got people's lifelines in their hand. You know what I mean? Just off a corrupt business. Right. So and then on top of that, it's so much politics in the game. You can't even get the matches set up that you want to see. Anytime you want to see a match, it takes forever to set the match up. You know what I mean? Like it's not like back in the day. And even back in the day, because I was looking at the documentary Kings on the 80s, it took forever for Marvin Hagler ever to get a chance to fight Sugar Ray. They were both, I mean, you might argue that they both were either past their prime or at the very end of it because Sugar Ray was kind of dodging them. Well, it's even worse. You know what I mean? It's worse than the 80s. It's worse than the 90s. You don't even have stars that they're even building up to showcase. Because of that, that's why you get these celebrity matchups that are so popular. 
Yeah, you still got Canelo. Are they selling them right? I love Tank. Are they selling Tank? Does the general population, is somebody that's not into boxing, are they into Tank? Are, are, are they really selling the Charlo brothers right? You know what I'm saying? They got a match coming up soon. How many people are really, you know, into it and watching it that's not diehard boxing fans? They're not... Boxing is doing a bad job of selling boxing because it's always been the personalities that sell it. And that's what makes these celebrity boxing matches so interesting because the people that are already good at marketing, the people that are already good at selling fights, can still sell fights. And these younger kids don't know how to sell fights like the older guys. Floyd can still sell a fight. Mike Tyson still knows how to sell a fight. Two of the biggest box office draws in boxing ever. They still know how to get people excited and sell a fight. And there's nobody in boxing that knows how to... I'm not going to say there's nobody, but there's nobody great at it. Nobody on the level of a Floyd or Mike Tyson or Sugar Ray Leonard. There's nobody in there that's selling boxing to bring people. It's kind of like with golf. You got, you got golf with Tiger Woods. You got golf without Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods brings in this whole different big demographic of people that don't even like golf but are watching because Tiger Woods there. That's what you're looking for. You're not looking for just the diehard fans, just the fans that love golf or the fans that love boxing. They're going to be there regardless, right? You're trying to get the demographic, the wives, and the, the, the men that's not really in the sport that'll do it just because it's an event and it's a name. People go watch Floyd Mayweather because it's interesting. You either love him or hate him. Don't care if you love him or you hate him. You're either going to go there to see him win or you're going there to see him lose. Either way, you're going or you're buying the pay-per-view. And it's just, you just don't care. So if if boxing did a better job of putting these premier matchups on, on frequently with names that have been built up, then you wouldn't have this frenzy to go buy a, a Floyd Mayweather versus Logan Paul or a Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones because you would be saving your money to get the big fight. But there's no big fight. Wilder and Fury is about to fight. The Charlo brothers are about to fight. But there's no major fight. None of those fights are getting as much coverage as Mayweather and Logan Paul. Now, understand that Logan Paul hasn't even been the Paul that's been in the news. I understand he has 66 million followers and he was probably one of he was probably the more popular Paul brother before the boxing. But for this community and demographic of people watching, Logan Paul wasn't the name for Floyd Mayweather to fight. It was Jake Paul. And he still sold a million pay-per-view. <laughs> you know what I mean? He, he still made money off this fight. He literally called it bank robbery because it is the easiest thing you can do. He didn't fight Jake Paul, the one that knocked out Nate Robinson, the one that's kind of been making a name for himself, for himself with the power. No. He fought the brother, Logan Paul, who was 0-1 and lost to a YouTuber. He was only 0-1. He didn't beat nobody. And he gets a match against Floyd Mayweather, right? <laughs> it's easy money. If I can make $9 million doing that, I know he's not going to hurt me. I know he's not going to... I'm not in danger. It's less than a sparring match. The kid doesn't even know how to punch. So it's less than a sparring match. He get in there with a young boxer that even knows what they're doing. You're in more danger than getting in this matchup. You're in shape. Eight rounds for three minutes is probably nothing for him because we know how Floyd keeps himself in shape. I mean, he's always kept himself in fight weight shape. He doesn't really get below that. That's why he always fights in that catch weight because he ain't got to do nothing. He's always used that advantage. So 
there's not really any dangers because Floyd's not going to do anything dangerous. He's not going to put himself in danger. Yeah, Floyd's just going to get in there and swing with him. And then there's a chance that this big heavyweight could catch Floyd because Floyd's 155 and he's like 185. And yeah, that could be exciting. Floyd ain't going to put himself in danger. Have you ever watched a Floyd Mayweather fight? You ever seen Floyd Mayweather fight? You thought it was going to be different? You see him fight against Connor? You thought that shit was going to be different than fighting Logan Paul? No, he's going to do the same shit. He's going to go in there. He's going to fill them out for one or two rounds, especially somebody that doesn't box. He's going to let them punch themselves out because the average person that doesn't box and not used to all those lights and walking to the ring and, the, and then, and you know, being excited, excited. You're not used to all that. That's going to take a lot of your energy anyway, right? The hot lights, the, the excitement. You're going to go in there and throw a lot of punches, which Logan Paul did. He went in there and he threw a lot of punches and he was, and Floyd was just kind of blocking. Not doing shit else, just blocking. <laughs> the dude went out with a flurry that looked good. Punches were awful. Never even turned over his wrist or nothing. Just hitting Floyd on the body, meaning nothing. Floyd let him burn himself out. Second round, Floyd started doing a little bit more. But by the end of that second round, you could see that Logan was shot. <laughs> Logan Paul was shot. He was tired. Leaning over the ropes. That was round two. After that, you know, when I was when I was watching the fight, you know, I was kind of like the regular audience. I was disappointed. Like, dang, Floyd ain't going to knock him out. That kind of flow was taking it easy on him. Went back and watched the fight again. Floyd was not taking it easy on him. Dude, Logan was cut big. Looking like Draco out there. Now, he looked like Draco, but the fight actually looked like Holy, uh, when, uh, Hulk Hogan and Rocky Fall. But he was out there built like Drago or so. It kind of looked like fucking Mike Tyson punch out. <laughs> Memo was huge compared to Floyd. He's a heavyweight. Well, you know what? I got to understand. There's a reason why there's weight classes. Floyd's power has always been questionable anyway, right? He's had some matches where he's shown his power, but it's really been about clean punching. But just pure power, I don't know if. Floyd's ever just had pure power I mean I sit and watch him beat the shit out of Toro Gotti for like 10 rounds You know what I mean There's, There was pure power involved in that I mean it'd be different We seen him knock people out Seen him knock people down But I don't know about Floyd's pure power Add that to the fact that Floyd has brittle hands And if you follow Floyd Then you know he used to break his hands a lot So he had to get these He gets his hands specially wrapped And he usually used bigger gloves He doesn't use puncher's gloves because he has to protect his hands. So even some of the gloves that like punchers would use because they have less cushion for your hands, but they're harder and it'll knock you out. Floyd probably not even gonna use those in an exhibition. He's probably gonna get a little bigger gloves because he doesn't want to break his hands and his hands are kind of brittle. Knowing those things, I still kinda expect the Floyd to knock him out. I'm be honest. I ain't gonna be out of like, no, I didn't expect nah, I still kinda expect the Floyd to knock him out. But that's where I give credit to Logan Paul. Uh, Logan Paul fought a good fight, and I thought Logan Paul ate that shit. Like, Floyd was catching him clean. Straights, uppercuts, body shots, shots to the head. Logan Paul was eating that shit. And what do you expect? That's kind of what he made his name off of, doing crazy shit, jumping off of shit. I don't tell him how many concussions he'd had in his life. You think it's just going to be easy for Floyd to go in there and knock him out? No, he probably gets knocked out for fun. They probably fight for fun. Probably fights his brother, bare knuckle, fist fight, knock each other out, get up, laugh, and have beers. And you're expecting Floyd to just go in there and just knock him out clean boxing gloves? I don't see it. I don't see it. So, I mean, I was pretty impressed. When I when I watched it the second time, I was more impressed with 
Logan for taking that shit. Because Floyd was catching him clean. I know the numbers. If you look at watch boxing, then you would think it's more impressive. But when you look, Floyd damn near landed 50, 40, 40, 50 in jabs and 40% in power punches. And you got to realize he wasn't just out there punching wildly. He was really picking his spot. So the shots that he was catching him with, they were clean shots. I mean, these are clean, no block, no brush. Usually when you see these landed blows in boxing, it's kind of brushed off the glove. He rolled his shoulders, shit like that. None of that. When he was getting hit, he was getting hit clean. All those are clean shots that Logan took. Logan did a good job of using his body and kind of leaning on, on uh, Floyd. They call it a wrestling match, but it's smart. Logan don't want to get knocked out either. You know what I'm saying? The pride comes in the way. So it seemed like that his trainers worked with him more on defending than punching. Because it still didn't look like he could throw a good punch. Even in the early rounds when he wasn't tired, he didn't throw a good punch. What he did do a good job of is knowing when to hold, knowing how to close the distance or extend the distance. So Floyd really couldn't get in his range to really get comfortable. And when he felt Floyd getting comfortable and Floyd would catch him with some clean shots, the first thing he'll do is hold Floyd up and make Floyd fight to get him off of him. Floyd wasn't coasting. Logan was doing a good job of closing space. So either Floyd had to find his distance to get in there safe, to get in the inside of his punches off, or he had to fight Logan off from leaning on him and keeping him from punches. And I, that's a part of boxing. That's a strategy. And it's smart. And you, you see, you know, Floyd was kind of, Floyd wasn't mad or disappointed. Floyd was laughing because he said he's better than he thought he was. He wasn't talking about punching and pure boxing skills. He was talking about the way that he was protecting himself where Floyd couldn't really get off like Floyd wanted to get off on him. Like, yeah, he could pull, pull a Connor and be tired and kind of just running around the ring, ring and letting Floyd catch up to him and punch him in the face. Yeah, I mean, you can say that's cool, whatever. But when you look at the art of boxing, I think that Logan did a great job of spacing and not letting Floyd really get off. Like when he felt Floyd starting to get off, tie him up, hold him, make him fight you off because you're the bigger person. And maybe you wear Floyd down. And I think they thought that they could wear Floyd down, but Floyd's an elite athlete. And that, this shit is nothing to him. He's not going to waste any punches, no wasted movement. So it's hard to really wear him down where he's actually tired. But that's what they were trying to do, wear him down. Now, with all that said, all this about... Like, he's destroying his legacy, and he's uh, disgraced the boxing and disgracing himself. Why? These They don't even count. These are exhibition matches. He's doing it in his retirement for fun. If a golfer retires and comes back and has a celebrity matchup with Peyton Manning, y'all all are going to applaud it. Oh, this is so cool. If Michael Jordan and Grant Hill do a celebrity matchup with two other people and play two-on-two or five-on-five in a celebrity all-star game, you guys are going to applaud it and say, great. People are just saying that because they don't like Floyd. Because this is easy money. $9 million sponsors, whatever you get on the back end. And I got an alternative theory that I feel like they're setting something up for Showtime and and Logan Paul, which... I think Floyd will be involved in. But other than that, just pure money alone. Why wouldn't you take this fight? Because you respect your legacy. You're not, you don't think you can lose. You don't think he can hit you. You know it's a joke. You're surprised that anybody would even watch this shit. And then a million people buy the pay-per-views, plus you are guaranteed like $10 million. Why wouldn't you take this fight? Why is that bad for your legacy? I mean, people act like Floyd didn't fight the best out there. Like the last person he fought was Canelo. 
I mean, besides for Connor, but he fought Canelo, who's the champion now. He didn't really dodge anybody now. He fought Canelo way too early. I give you that. Probably fought Pacquiao too late, but that's not uncommon in boxing. None of that's uncommon in boxing. Sometimes you don't even get those fights at all. The fact that he even did them, and you can even match them up. Like he said, I fought all the ones that you guys said were great. Everybody that y'all put in my... That I, that I should fight. I fought them all and I made them all look average. I made them all look bad. It doesn't matter if he didn't fight the style that you like. He's not Mike Tyson. But he fought his style. And he never let anyone change his fouls. His change his style. He didn't let pride or ego get in the way. He went in there with a job. He did his job. He worked his strategy. Doesn't care if you wanted him to knock him out. He doesn't care if you wanted him to do however you wanted him to win. He doesn't care. He went in there and he did what he had to do. Just like now, when he takes these exhibition fights and they're 10, 15, 20 million, what, what is the risk? Why turn them down? He's never going to hit. He didn't even fight the most dangerous Paul brother. I mean, 10 million, okay. I could get $20 million of fighting Jake Paul or $10 million of fighting Logan Paul. And Logan Paul is 0-1 against another YouTube fight. Are you serious? That's easy money. Easy money. You're not going to lose. <laughs> it's just... I don't know. I just think it's, it's got to be jealousy for people to be like, it's disgracing his legacy because it doesn't even make any sense. Like, win or lose or whatever, these fights aren't even judged. You can only do a knockout. They're not going to count against his record. It's not like sanctioned by Vegas or anything. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. It's just, it just all sounds crazy to me. I think Floyd, I, I was entertained by it. I knew what I was getting, though. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't like shocked that thought it was going to be something that it wasn't. It's something that you'll watch for fun. Something that you'll watch for entertainment. Going to my alternate theory, what I was speaking about, I feel like what happened in this situation is, yeah, Floyd could have fought Jake Paul. Probably make more money. Probably get more viewers, right? Jake Paul signed that deal with Thriller, though. So Jake Paul has a deal with Thriller. And, you know, they're the ones that's doing that Tyson celebrity thing. And Jake Paul fought on the other card of that. And he's been kind of like their fight club guy where they, he does a little fight with like a kind of an exclusive. I don't know if it's exclusive, but I know he's tied to the thriller, right? So if you're Floyd Mayweather and Al Heyman and y'all trying to get stuff together, you're probably having trouble coming to terms because you're negotiating with thriller. Logan Paul, however, doesn't have a deal with thriller, right? He's just, he has name recognition. And if you're a smart businessman, you know, name recognition matters. Yeah, most, you know, there's a large portion that people know the difference between Jake Paul and Logan Paul. There's also a large number of people who have no idea. Me, I was one of them for fucking half of the promotion. I thought he was fighting Jake Paul until I realized it was Logan Paul. And I still watched it. But Jake Paul was the bigger draw. It would have been a bigger draw for a fight. So why pick Logan Paul? Because you can build his name up. And if you build his name up and you just gave him credibility because he stood in the ring ring with you for eight rounds and he didn't go down whether he can punch or not. Now you got now you can push him on Showtime. And now Showtime got their own little celebrity boxing. If real boxing and they can't really get any ratings off of Charlo. You know what I mean? If they're not really getting the pay-per-view views off a of tank, but the celebrity can bring in, you know, he has 66 million followers, they said, on YouTube. And then the people that thought he was just going to get killed, he didn't. 
Now you start putting him up against the Chad Ochocinco. Shit, if you get 500,000 views, let's <laughs> just do something. You just got yourself a Paul brother. Now Thriller has Jake, and now Logan has a name. And if Floyd and Al Heyman is anywhere involved with that because they had that pay-per-view deal before he retired, sounds genius to me. Not only did you make yourself in money on an easy fight that you were never going to lose, never get hurt, never in danger, but you can build somebody up that you can sign or that you can get a percentage off of to be a, a draw for the next one or two years, however long this celebrity craze lasts. Sound like a win-win to me, man. Sound like you niggas don't like money. That y'all worried about, like Floyd said, y'all can't eat legacy. <laughs> I like Floyd. Man, I don't care what y'all say, but I think that's just good business. And I also enjoyed the fight. I like the clean punching that he was doing. But like I said, respect to Logan Paul because he was eating that shit. So, um, other than that, man, what else I get into this weekend? Uh, I watch. Now, if you're not in the battle rap, man, you might want to skip forward about 10 minutes because... I listened to that Gnome 11, man. Um, I'm really in the battle rap. You don't know. You know what I'm saying? Smack. They're on the caffeine app. URL. They had an event. Um, this Gnome 11. Night of main events. So I had some different people on the card. Uh, I actually didn't get to listen to it when I wanted to listen to it. Had the game on. I was playing poker. But they were able to. They just released it on the URL app um, on Friday. So I was able to catch up and listen to it. I didn't listen to all the battles, but... Listen to the main ones, you know what I mean? Definitely listen to that Geechee Gotti versus Rum Nitty. I listened to Tay Rock versus Chilla Jones. Um, I also caught that DNA B dot. I started with the Low So Jerry West, but I didn't get through with it. So I'll probably give a more complete review of that next episode when I can really sit on it. But just initial thoughts. I thought it was cool, you know. Drake was at the event. Um, he was he was doing a hundred thousand dollars to the winner. They the main event was Geechee Gotti and Rum Nitty. If you follow Battle Rap, you know that Battle Rap. You know they're in the same crew. Um, they both spit together. But at the battle, he went ahead and dropped another fifty thousand and said the winner gets uh, one fifty. Uh, but they had a good battle. It was a real even battle. But at the end, they just decided they were going to split it. It was supposed to be a judge battle, which is kind of uncommon for uh, URL. They do it a lot on um, King of the Dot. But URL is kind of just a fan vote type thing. They don't really declare a real winner. They have a bunch of different other ways that they'll like try to judge it and try to say if there's a winner or not. But yeah, so typically URL, they don't do judges. So it's kind of unique that they were doing judges this type of type this type this time around. But they didn't need them because, you know, like I said, Rum Nitty and Geechee said they were just going to split the pot. But if I was judging it, the feel, it felt like they were going to give it to Rum Nitty. Um, Sue Serve, Nunu Nails, and even Drake felt like they were leaning towards Rum Nitty. Uh, Rum Nitty was saying some shit. There were was, there was some heavy bars. But I still like Geechee, man. And I felt like Geechee was coasting. Like, I felt like they both, like, this is probably one of the best buddy battles you're going to because usually you kind of take it light. You don't really do no personals. It really felt like they were taking it serious and they was going at each other's neck, right? And the same disrespectful shit. Like, usually you don't want to call your homeboy a bitch. You know, that's kind of Geechee's signature thing. Use a bitch. And he talked about some personals. So that shit went hard. Like, I personally picked Geechee. 
And I think I got Geechee winning the first and the second round and Rum Nitty winning the third. Got to re-listen. Like I said, I listened to it quick over the weekend. I'm going to have a better recap next time. But I think I got Geechee Gotti winning 2-1 over Rum Nitty. And I think I'm in the minority too, so I really need to re-listen to it. Tay Rock and Chilla Jones. I, I mean, I'm not a huge Tay Rock fan. And I think Chilla's underrated. And I don't even think it's close. Like, I think I think Chilla mopped him up. I think Chilla's been on one of the best runs in hip-hop. Not hip-hop. Well, it is hip-hop. But one of the best runs in battle rap. I think Chilla, scheme and angle. I mean, B-Dot was supposed to be the next one up. They were trying to build him up as, like, the next Loaded Lux. And Chilla kind of took B-Dot apart to the point where B-Dot even forgot his rhymes. And now B-Dot's young, so I think he'll bounce back and recover. But just the fact that B-Dot was on that rise to being champion of the year and Chilla just broke him down and became champion of the year, Chilla's still on that run. I don't think Tay Rock has been kind of the face of battle rap for the last, well, the face of URL for a while now. I think that'll. I think that's Geechee Gotti now. Um, I think B-Dot is right behind him. But Geechee is... Definitely the face of the URL right now. But Tay Rock, for Chilla to do that to Tay Rock, I think they're gonna have to put some um put some respect on Chilla's name, bro. I think Chilla had a, a excellent battle, man. I, I really like what Chilla Jones did. I think Chilla Jones been on the run. Like I said, that B die was impressive. That uh K K Sean, he ate K Sean up. K Sean's one of my favorite. Now he just took down Tay Rock. There's not many more people for Chilla Jones to take down before he prove himself. You know what I mean? I think Chilla, Chilla's that nigga. Chilla, Geechee, um, they're building Rum Nitty up. Like, I like Rum Nitty. I don't know that Rum Nitty was really deserving of this, this main core spot, but that's what I liked about what Geechee said. Geechee was basically like, you wasn't getting no credibility until you start fucking with me, basically. Like, nigga, I made you. And that's just hard because he really did. There's no way that Rum Nitty would be on a main card uh, without Geechee Gotti putting his, uh, his his uh putting his respect behind it because Smack wasn't really putting Rum 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 was kind of a Rum was having some great battles but they were on the app and nobody was seeing him. Now he got him on the main stage, quick, fast. You know what I mean? So Geechee really did put his team on and this doesn't last with a lot of battle rap crew so i'd be interested to see how this goes but he's really pushing rum nitty and then for them to split the pot that was some real shit um then you had dna versus b dot i listened to that and i actually think dna got b dot i think these veterans are kind of kind of like picking b dot apart like trying to like tell him like dna's a tricky battler he never really gets the respect of being the top battler but he's probably a, he's a legend you know what i mean he's one of the guys that put battle rap on the map and i think people take him lightly but dna you could think he corny you could think that he don't talk about guns or whatever anymore he's a, he has elite level lyricism schemes and angles you know what i'm saying he's probably one of the best at schemes and angles even though if his style isn't as conducive or isn't as attractive as some of the other battle rappers so i think dna was able to pull this off but again I'm going to listen to all the battles and have a more detailed breakdown of what I think of every battle. You might be into it. You might not be into it. Maybe I inspire you to go give it a try. I'm re- I really love it. And now that it's on the Caffeine app, all you got to do is download the Caffeine app. And now you're not even paying for the pay-per-view events. They still have some on pay-per-view, which I'm actually kind of excited to uh, listen to 
uh, Hitman Holler versus Calico the rematch. I hope both of them come and take it serious because both of them have a tendency to coast sometimes, but I think that they've been in a bit of a grudge match to the point where they may both bring their A game in. I'm a big Calico fan, so I'm really excited to see Calico versus Hitman if they both take it serious. But if they both on that bullshit, then I'm not that interested. But enough about battle rap, you know what I'm saying? Most people probably ain't even into it. If you're not and you love rap, you love lyricism, I definitely recommend that you get into it. Get on the URL app, or you can go ahead and um, just download Caffeine and be up on any URL events. Uh, King of the Dot also got some shit. If you ain't really into the guns and the kill you nigga and shit like that, you can also just go to King of the Dot. They got a lot of shit on YouTube. Uh, I haven't been following them lately, but that's more, you know, uh, lyrical exercise. You know what I'm saying? Not as much that boom, boom, kill them, bang, bang. More of just lyricism, angle, schemes, wordplay. More like that. But something for everybody, just like any genre of music. But yeah, man, I went through all that, man. So let's get into these playoffs, man. I owe some people some apologies, man. I was real disrespectful when I got on here last time. I was disrespectful to Chris Paul and the Phoenix Suns. I just brushed them off like they wasn't a threat. I apologize to Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Jay Crowder, and all those guys. Just acting like Denver ever had a shot against that elite team. Definitely owe them an apology. I owe the Clippers and Paul George an apology. I've been sitting on Paul, shitting on Paul George for about two, three years. And he steps up like this and t- takes down uh, Donovan Mitchell and the Jazz. Man, I was real high on the Jazz. I thought the Jazz had some potential to do something. And, you know, Paul George said, nah, bro, playoff P is back. I just need the ball in my hand. I don't need these niggas getting in my way. You know what I'm saying? You got Kawhi, I need all this attention. You got Russell Westbrook, got the ball in his hands. If I can just get the ball in my hand, y'all saw what I did against LeBron in the Heat. Back in 2013 and 2014, I, that PG still in here. I just need the ball in my hands and let it out. So I apologize to the Clippers, man. Reggie Jackson is still a starting point guard in this league, man. Show some respect, man. I heard people say Nick Batum is a bum, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and he's out there running through. But yeah, man, I was. It's it's sad for me that I was wrong about the Phoenix Suns. It's like my biggest regret. But just brushing off the Suns because I was up on the Suns early. Like last year, if you listen to any of the pods, you know, I was really big on the Suns. I thought they were dangerous. I thought they were going to be an up-and-coming team this year. I'm real high on Monty Williams. I love what Chris Paul brings to the team. Booker's ascension has been coming for the last two or three years. So I just, I love this team. So for me to get out here and just be like the Joker, we're going to run through them. But I'm looking at it, I'm like, man. Joker, best big man in the league. And I really wasn't respecting Aiden. You know, come to find out that Aiden plays him better than anybody in the league. It helps the kind of zone defense that they play to make it really hard for those guards because they don't really have a pure point guard at, at point. They don't really have a pure point guard. So it makes it really difficult for those guards to really get the ball in there for Joker to really work. So that little zone thing that they were playing it just really threw them off. And even though Joker was able to get their numbers, they were able to kind of single coverage Joker with help and then kind of shut those other dudes down and force those other dudes to take a long, lot of long threes. And if Joker really wanted to get the offense going, he had to play out on the outside and do a lot more work to get inside. But he wasn't really able to get the ball down low and just work solo because his zone kind of packed it down. And with 
their power forwards and like Jay Crowder and Mikael Bridges being so long, they were able to recover and get back on there. So they just caused Denver a lot of problems. Now, I think the ejection on on Joker was kind of bullshit. I mean, I know that he was in kind of intentional foul. He's swiping down at the ball, but I feel like they are punishing big dudes for just being big. You know what I mean? Like a lot of times this year, I've seen big dudes just punished for being big. Like if I'm swiping down at the ball and I'm seven foot and this dude is six foot and then he's, you know, got his head over the ball, I might accidentally swipe his face or his head. That's not the intention of the rule when they say above the head and shoulders. That's more of something malicious. That act was not a malicious. I mean, it could have been a flagrant one, but a flagrant two and kicking the MVP of the league out of the game in an elimination game for them. I just think that shit is weak, man. That's kind of like when Tim Duncan got kicked out. That's a ref trying to show out, man. You can't do that, bro. It's Joker. He's the MVP of the league. How you kick him out in the elimination game? And if they win that game, if they're able to win that game, because they were close, and then after Joker went out for like two or three minutes, I think Denver went on a run, and then Phoenix put him to sleep. But let's say that they were able to pull that game off. Like, they pull that game off, I think Chris Chris Paul gets COVID or he gets positive, like, the next day (laughs) or the day after. Something, uh, but he wouldn't have been available for game five. I mean, for game, it would have been game, yeah, game five, he wouldn't have been available. So, that just changes the whole dynamic. Now, the Suns, they're playing the Clippers. They, they, They won game one against the Clippers, and they showed they're still formidable without Chris Paul, but still yet. Denver would have had a chance. That's why I don't think that they should have made that call. But whatever. Shout out to Monty Williams. Shout out to James Jones for putting that shit together. Um, People thought he was crazy, some of the shit he was doing, like drafting Cam Johnson. People thought that he reached on Cam Johnson. But now you see the vision of this length and 3 and D player coming from a 3 and D guy. James Jones was a 3 and D guy in Miami. And he was he worked well with LeBron. He saw what it takes to win a championship and put a team together. He went with him. He followed him to Cleveland. You know what I mean? And James has done a real good job of trying to find people to build around Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. And Ayton has been playing excellent, man. Excellent, excellent. So shout out to the Suns, man. I really like the Suns. I still think they need Chris Paul to come back for them to really have a legit chance of winning the championship. But if Chris Paul comes back, I'm, I think that the Suns have to be the favorite, right? We hadn't gotten to the other sides of the brackets, and I'll, I'll expand on that later. But I think the Suns are, are the favorites with Chris Paul, and I think Chris Paul comes back game three. Um, at worst, you split one and one without Chris Paul. I think that's a win for them. Um, especially with the Clippers, probably who are probably not gonna have Kawhi, right? So going to the next series, got us. So we had this argument within our my bas- fantasy basketball group chat, fun, and it's funny we had this because you probably you would have been on the right side if you'd have picked Spider on this argument because they were the number one team, and even though Booker and the Suns were the number two team, people still kind of was giving credit to Chris Paul on that, right? So the debate was, would you rather have Spider on your team? Would you rather have Devin Booker on your team? I feel like it was Devin Booker just because of size, pure shooting, different things. Like, as good as Donovan Mitchell is, Donovan is still kind of undersized. So Booker is taller than you realize. Like, Booker is able to get his shot off 
easier than Donovan Mitchell, you know. One of the arguments was Devin Booker ain't did shit in the league. Donovan's been more successful. Donovan made the playoffs. You got to be careful when you're making an argument for players because people make that argument not realizing that your team matters, right? The team that you have around you matters. You can't just go out there and be like, oh, Donovan's better or Booker's better and their team is trash. Like, if you look at what happened with Devin Booker, they hadn't even, like, they hadn't even figured out what they needed to do to put around him. I mean, they tried using him at point guard and kind of the James Harden type role, right? Too much on him, too much stress. He had injury-prone season. He's doing too much. Um, he can pass. He can do that. He can distribute. He can put together these well-rounded games, but it's also a lot of strain on his legs. He ends up pulling hamstrings, calves, these little nagging injuries that he tends to get. Um, and his vision is good, but it's not great, right? So you bring in Ricky Rubio, which is better, and you see the vision. You see that it works. It takes him off the ball. It, it helps him to be more efficient. He doesn't have to push. He doesn't have to press. He doesn't have to worry about getting everybody involved. But Ricky Rubio can't shoot. <laughs> so still, you can still double him. So then they started to figure out how to play with, you know, different lineups. And that, that team really found its stride around the bubble when they went 8-0. and They just, just missed out on the playoffs, right? So they come back this year, you add the ultimate leader, Chris Paul, and you've seen what he's done when you put him on the team. Now you put him on a team with people that's going to definitely listen to him because he gets nothing but respect. Like, this is what you get. That team is just, is just focused and they're disciplined on it. And they, yeah, they showed some holes, and I kind of fell victim to them showing some holes in the armor, but they were going against the Lakers, the defending champs. I think I forgot that. They're going against the defending champs. And even though it looked like they struggled, they've put together some of the best games in the playoffs, and they destroyed the Lakers, right? This is looking like that Dallas Mavericks team where they're just on, you know what I'm saying? And when they get hot, man, it's just they're just like the perfect fit together. They play team basketball. They definitely move on a string on defense, and with all of them being long and athletic and the freedom to shoot shots, they all look comfortable. Nobody looks rusty. I mean, Monty Williams have done an excellent job with that team and the way they play. I love that team. And then they go in there, and then they win the first game without Chris Paul. Big, big. But going into that, like Devin Booker, like there was a lot of people saying Spider over Devin Booker. And I just thought that was crazy because of the things that I've seen Devin Booker do. Pure skill set, there's not a lot of people that's better than Devin Booker. And I think he just proved that in the game without Chris Paul, where people thought it's not amazing that he's going 49, 40 points, nine rebounds, nine assists. He's been having games like that when they put the ball in his hands. At one point, he was averaging like seven or eight assists <laughs> because that's what he's had to do. It's just things that he doesn't have to do now, so the game's a lot easier. But when he's pushed into that role for one game, yeah, he can do it at an elite level. His problem wasn't never doing it for five or six games. He's doing it for like 30 games. So if he has to do this next game, I wouldn't be surprised if he got another triple-double. Because he's it's, it's, it's within his skill set. And yes, uh, Donovan can pass, but he's not he's not a better passer than uh, Devin Booker. He's more of a, just a scorer. He, like, he can pass, he can assist. A lot of that's off of... You know, guarding the rim and just throwing up to a seven-foot guy. But Donovan doesn't have elite passing. You know what I'm saying? Devin Booker has that elite skill set of passing, but he doesn't always have an elite decision-making skills. So I love the Suns scene, especially if they get Chris Paul back. But going to the um, the 
The Clippers versus the Jazz. First off, shout out to the Clippers for getting past Dallas because I didn't think they would win that game six. Or I didn't think they would win game six and seven when they were down. But they ended up pulling both of those off. A lot of that was on the back of Kawhi. Unfortunately, he ended up getting hurt. Right? But then they go and they play Utah. And Utah, you know, jump out early on them. And then Clippers kind of dominate that series. And then you see why players like Draymond really have a problem with Rudy Gobert getting Gobert Gobert getting defensive player of the year because he's just an off the ball shot blocker and he's not totally like he's not elite at that right <laughs> like he gets a lot of chances at him because they play a lot of one on one defense let people drive at him and so he gets a lot of shot at it I don't know that Rudy Gobert is elite right he's letting Terrace Mann dunk on him he's he's kind of going soft and he, I don't know. I just had a lot of problems. With that. They made Rudy Gobert a liability out there, bro. Rudy Gobert was a liability out there on offense and on defense. They were really attacking him when he was on the defensive side of the ball, and they were really attacking him, putting it in his chest because he only had so many fouls to give, right? And you only got one shot blocker because when Derek Favors come in, he's not doing the same thing. Probably one of the only teams that don't have a legit small ball five. Right, that you can really depend on. I guess you can put Royce O'Neal out there. They could have did that against the Clippers, but just didn't make that adjustment. I mean, if, if the if Rudy Gobert is a liability and they're going small and they're starting Marcus Morris at the five and they're running you like that, then I would say as a coach, then you probably would have wanted to go small with them, at least in the fourth quarter. Don't think he made that adjustment. I think he just tried to go with his star, Ruby Gobert. He was Gobert. He was tired to him, and he didn't really make that adjustment. So that small ball that they were running against, they ran against, ran it against Dallas, and they ran it against Utah, and they run that zone, and it really gave them trouble. And Gobert was a real liability, and because Quinn Snyder didn't want to make the adjustment to take Gobert out, now you see. Utah at home, and they got a lot of question marks. Donovan Mitchell got a lot of question marks. The biggest question mark is last season, y'all were up on Denver 3-1. And you let Denver and Jamal Murray come back on you. Okay, Jamal Murray had an excellent season, set some records, and three-point shooting was amazing, right? Even had the Joker, MVP of the league this year. Legit excuse. You let the Clippers... Right, running up on you with Kawhi, then when they when they're without Kawhi, you're up 21 at half and you blow that lead. You blow a 21 point lead in an elimination game after halftime, and you don't make no adjustments to get Gobert out of the game when he obviously needs to be out of the game because while he's in the game, you have to. You're literally playing four on five and you're leaving somebody open and they're hot. Everybody's hot. You try to place him on Ter- Man- Terrence Mann. Terrence Mann drops 39 on you. <laughs> Obviously, you have to make an adjustment. Marcus Morris going crazy. Nick Batum ain't missing. Reggie Jackson looks like he's back in Detroit. Like, nobody's missing, and you never make an adjustment to go small ball with them. Call me crazy. I don't know. Quinn Snyder needs to be accountable. It's only so much Donovan can do. Donovan was losing at one point. I think he went like 39, 6, and 39, 9, and 9. Like, there's only so much you can do, bro. If you're literally playing four on five, and they were literally playing four on five out there, I don't know. Why? Why? Why is he out there? I don't care if he's the player. That's just an award by the media. 
I mean, I got eyes. I can see that they're literally attacking Gobert and driving into his chest and showing him no respect, and he's not stopping anybody. So why do you have that big man in there? They can't score because you can't guard them defensively because he's not going to get out there. Then if he gets out to the perimeter, because they're playing five wide, if they gets out to the perimeter, then you don't have anybody guarding the rim, and you're in the same situation anywhere. Anyway, I mean, die with Mike Conley. Joe Ingles, Donovan Mitchell, uh, Bogdanovich, Royce O'Neal. You that your they their small ball is beating your tall ball. It worked in the first half. It's not working now. You're just you just blew like a damn. They're 26 point lead. Not gonna make no adjustment. Not be cool with that. Why y'all cool with not making playoffs? Y'all get rid of Quinn Snyder. Point blank. So right now we got the Clippers versus the Suns in the Western Conference Finals. Um, as I said, the Suns were able to take Game One without Chris Paul. This team is really good, man. Coach very, coach very, very well. Campaign that play very, very well. Devin Booker, you see him. So, so his different side. Um, dangerous team. I don't know if the Clippers can beat them without Kawhi. I don't know if they're getting Kawhi back. Kawhi's already been ruled out. Chris Paul's already been ruled out for Game Two. So, if the Suns are able to take Game Two, it's more likely that Chris Paul is going to come back than Kawhi Leonard. So. I like the Suns in this matchup. Um, I was wrong before. Don't listen to shit I say. Obviously, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. But still, I'm going to throw it out there. I like the Suns. I should have went with the Suns. I've been waffling on the Suns since the playoffs began. I didn't really know if that was real or not because they just kind of came out of nowhere. Hard for me to really rely on. But I've been a, I've been a fan of the Suns team. I wouldn't be surprised they win a championship. Let's go back to the East where we had some real surprises. Let's start with the big one, man. I think we all thought the Nets were going to coast to a championship. But this is one of the things that happens whenever you get these super teams. Something always tends to happen. This Nets team, injuries start to pile up on them. You had Harden get hurt. Um, I don't know, remember what game that was, but he got hurt pretty early in the series. Then you turn around, and then Kyrie gets hurt. So now you're without Kyrie and you're without Harden. And, it, and you shouldn't have even lost the game to go 2-1, I believe. Or was it 3-1? Whichever the one where Bruce Brown did that dumb shit. Like, they shouldn't even lost that game. They should have been in more control because at the end of that game, if Bruce Brown just gives the ball to Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving, then I think that game ends differently. But that shows. It's kind of like what I was talking about the Joker. You don't do what you're supposed to. You don't never know what happens in a seven-game series. Like, the next game, Kyrie gets hurt, and it changes everything. But what if they won that game? What if Bruce Bowen doesn't drive to the goal and throw up a floater when he's not even supposed to have the ball eight seconds? What if he doesn't do that? KD gets the ball. KD closes him out. He's one of his big shots in the rough three games. Now they only need one, and they pulled off one. You need to only need to bring James Harden back once. You only need to play hard once. You get that game, and then you're in the West, you're in the Eastern Conference Finals. But no, that doesn't happen. One person takes a bad shot, and you throw away a game, and it ends up costing you a series. James Harden comes back. He's able to win, you know, brush off elimination. Then the next game, they're able to, you know, fight back. I mean, I, I guess he made it 2-2, not 3-1. Then the next game, the Bucks kind of take control. You know, it goes back and forth. In game seven. So what happens in game seven? Nah, game seven is what happens when you don't have a pure point guard on the, on the floor. Good as Kevin Durant is, good as James Harden is, 
James Harden is not a pure point guard. He's a scoring point guard that can make plays. He's a playmaking guard. He's not a pure point guard. Kevin Durant, good player, ball handler. He can get assists. Not a pure point guard. They had some of the worst game management in the fourth quarter and the in overtime that I've seen. Like, you've seen what type of system James Harden comes from. I love that Steph Stephon Marbury came on after the game and was upset about one of the things that drove me crazy during that game when James Harden threw that full-court pass. Because when he threw it, I was like, why the fuck would you throw that pass? Like, it made no sense. Because even if the dude was wide open down there, well, if he was wide open, it's still a risk, right? You might throw it too hard, you might throw it out of bounds. It's just too risky of a move to make. At that point in time, if you're up and you're in control, I believe it's overtime, it's, it had to be less than two minutes. But you get it, you get the rebound, you're up two. Like, there's no downside to running more clock, right? You don't take that play because it's too quick, too quick of a score. But he's used to playing in that Dan, Dan and Tony system with the Rockets that, that score real fast. He looks up, he sees it, and he throws the ball. He should have never thrown. There's too much risk involved in that. Still, they get the ball back. That being said, you go back. I go back to, I, I believe that like bad habits, you're going to, those bad, even if you, if a bad habit works, right? Like my signature shot is a fadeaway on the baseline with two people over me and I make it, right? Then people are going to start thinking that's my shot. It is, but it's still a difficult shot to have. It's still not the shot you probably want to take. You still want to get it to the rim. Especially if you're somebody like Katie. So why I say that is because in the regulation, Katie did a turnaround fadeaway, which he thought was a three-point shot to win the game, which is a horrible decision. It doesn't matter if you make it. And that's why you got to be consistent. Me saying that I don't care that he made it in the end of regulation, that was a horrible fucking shot. He's too big. He's too athletic. He's too good to be taking a, a spinning three fadeaway shot too good the percentage on that shot is way too low and it gets even lower when you, when you add the fact that it's not even a fucking three because your foot was on the line so you took a long two to tie the game up then you try that same bullshit shot in overtime it's no way that Kevin Durant being that tall being that athletic being that good on the post that he does not take that to the rim and if you can't get it to the rim by driving, you don't post up or something. Something should have been going to the rim, going to the rim. That's what I hate about this new era. It's no way that you should be taking a fadeaway three-pointer. Now, if it's like when he was playing with the Warriors and it's a walk-up three and it's a two-for-one situation, that's different. Two-point game and you're walking up into a three-pointer on a fast break, that's different. That's an in-rhythm shot. Um, you can dribble it off your dominant hand, really get comfortable, really really get in rhythm and knock that shot down. That's not what Kevin Durant did. This one was doing a turnaround fadeaway three-pointer. You're seven foot, one of the most athletic, better dribbling, unguardable players in the league, and that's the shot you settle for? Nah, that's got to be on him. Him and James Harden got to eat that. Like, the Bucks showed tremendous. Like, I'm really impressed with Drew Holiday, right? Kind of thought they overpaid for Drew Holiday. But he just showed that no, they didn't because Drew Holiday has been a difference. And Chris Middleton really stepped up. Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday really stepped up and gave Giannis the support that he needed and showed that Giannis made a good decision by staying there. But I really like those clutch shots. It's not, it's not even the shots. It's the fact that how he is when he takes it. Like, Drew, you might not look at Drew as a superstar, superstar but he believes he's a superstar. Same way with Reggie Jackson. 
Like that's that's what make those guys tough. Like Mario Chalmers when he was with like you guys look at them like bums, but in their mind they think they're superstars, right? Like Drew Holiday knows at some point it's like I was averaging 30 easy in the with Philly before I, you know, did whatever to my knee. Even when I was, you know, with the Pelicans and Anthony Davis, I was the second best player on the team. You know what I mean? Like they have the resumes where the general public might think they're bums, but they don't think they're bums. They know that they're, they're that nigga. And that's how Drew Holiday conducts himself. That's how Drew Holiday conducted himself in this series and respect because they needed somebody like that. And it just, with him just having that attitude, even though he wasn't the second best player on the team, it took a lot of pressure off of Chris Middleton. Like when Chris Middleton would fall back, Drew had no problem taking over the game. And when Chris Middleton was on go, Drew had no problem with free feeding Chris Middleton. I think it, the dynamic worked. Right, so I, I really like, I really like that for Giannis, and I really like that for Bucks. Because the NBA, truthfully, truthfully, they needed somebody, they needed more people to re-sign with their teams, and go to and prove it right. Because it's been more proven that if you leave your team and go to another team, you can win, and you can't win with these small market teams. The fact that Giannis is taking the Bucks to the Eastern Conference Finals against an Atlanta, which I'm going to get to. That's good for the NBA. That's good for parity. But I will say, anytime LeBron is out of the playoffs, shit gets weird. Shit gets real weird. I mean, last time LeBron didn't make it because he was injured, you had Klay Thompson get hurt. You had KD get hurt. You had the Toronto fucking Raptors win a championship. So we should have known once LeBron got eliminated, shit was going to get weird. And it happened like that when Kobe first lost his dominance too. Kobe went out, and then Dallas Mavericks won the championship. I mean, one superstar, one the the face of the league go down, and it ain't no telling who might win. Jordan goes down, the Houston Rockets, the Houston Rockets become back to back champions. You know what I'm saying? Like when the face of the league goes down, it changes shit. Like it just like, oh, we anybody can win this shit, and then it's all hard. So. Shout out to the Bucks, man. But getting to my prediction, the one that I got right, the one I got to lean on, I got to save it for last, the best for last, the Atlanta Hawks, man. Now, I picked them at six. But I said I thought that the Atlanta Hawks kind of matched up well with the Sixers. And game two kind of made me kind of question it. I, I kind of started game two and three. I was like, ah, man, they're going to need to make some adjustments. A lot of that was because DeAndre Hunter was out and they were starting Solomon Hill. But once they took Solomon Hill out, put Kevin Herter in there, then it changed it. But I knew Ben was going to have a rough series because whatever, Julius Randle shoots better than Ben Simmons. And the shit that they did with Julius Randle, they kind of just did with Ben Simmons. <laughs> and they forced Ben Simmons to be in uncomfortable spots and even when he, he was open he didn't even know if he was open they got really got into Ben's head so I knew Ben was struggling in the series Joel was always a wild card when I first made that prediction I didn't think Joel was gonna play at least not the first or second game but when Joel first started dominating but you can see whatever they were doing for Joel to play I don't know if he was taking a cortisone shot I don't know what he was doing whatever was happening it only lasted for three quarters because in that fourth quarter Joel looked like the shell of himself you know what I mean when they came back when Atlanta came back from that 21 point deficit and Joel didn't score for I guess it was seven minutes I think he hit like a free throw and then overtime so that's like 13 minutes and that 13 minutes he might have hit like two points ever since then man uh, and 
I hear all this about Trey Young, you know, being a flopper, drawing fouls. I mean, maybe, but I mean, if if you're that small, see, people think Trey Young is this guy that shoots a lot of threes. No, he's just smart. He's doing the same thing Chris Paul does. I mean, he gets around you, get get the defender on his back. When the defender's on his back, then that puts uh, the defender in a vulnerable situation, and it allows him to control everything and just be a problem in the paint. So I don't think it's like when he jumps and jumps into him and stuff. I think I don't I don't I think that the swipe through and a lot of other shit people do is way worse than that. I think that's just good basketball because at the end of the day, stop him from getting in front of you. Don't play undisciplined defense. If you play disciplined defense and stay in front of him and quit trying to steal and reach and do all that shit where he can get around you, you want him to get around you and just go to the rim, but he's not. He's still looking for his teammates. He's still being a terror. He's not just driving. That's that's basketball IQ. So I like what Trey does. I mean, I don't I mean, I've been a big Trey fan. I think he's an elite passer. I think he he has a smart basketball IQ. I do think he takes some bad shots, but he's been limiting that down now that he gets to the free throw line. So, respect to the Hawks. I don't know what the Sixers are going to do, man. The Sixers missed the golden opportunity. They got Maury. Uh, they had a shot to get uh, James Harden. Putting James Harden with Joel Embiid was probably a slam dunk. Um, even if you had to get rid of a Tyrese Maxey, I know the case is, oh, we had to get rid of Tyrese Maxey, and he's a good, like, bro, he's a rookie. And even if you have to lose him, you're getting fucking James Harden. Come on now, man. James Harden and Joel Embiid with Tobias Harris. And then now you're seeing that, you know, anything can happen in the playoffs. You just need the players. So they botched that trade. Then they turn around and they botched the Kyle Lowry trade. Miami and Philly both. Both Miami and Philly could have used Kyle Larry in these playoffs. <laughs> Kyle Larry could have been a difference in either one of these series if Kyle Larry was there being a point pure point guard. Ben Simmons, they're gonna kill Ben Simmons, bro. They're gonna they're gonna kill him this offseason. Um they've already seen he's gonna switch hands, he's gonna do all this other stuff. Well, Ben shot the lowest free throw percentage of any player in NBA history with over 70 field goals attempts. He shot worse than Shaquille O'Neal. In the playoffs, some of the some of the centers that you see, he has the worst. He shot like thirty two percent from the free throw line. It's not even his field goals and jump shots. He's a non factor. I think that's something a meme that said he's the first zero three, uh, what is it three and D or zero and D guy. All he does is play defense. Like it's a shame that Doc Rivers couldn't figure out how to use him better than that. Like, because he was just out there. He was lost in the system. You didn't even know he was out there on offense most of the time. He did a good job on Trey Young. After game one, when they started putting him on Trey Young, he was very disruptive. Ben Simmons is elite defensively, but they have to get somebody out there that can space the floor at point guard for Joel. Like, Joel and Ben don't work. But the problem is, can you get value for either one of them? I've always been on record of saying, I still want Ben Simmons. If I'm building around one player, I'm still taking Ben Simmons. I just don't think Ben Simmons and Joel work. Because Ben Simmons is essentially 
Like he needs the lane. He needs that openness and he needs to get people involved. You need to build a team around him like you build around LeBron. And then if you do that, you can open it up and he can do a lot of different things. That does not excuse him from not shooting free throws well. If you're going to handle the ball, you have to be over 70% in free throws at least. That's ridiculous. Nothing excuses that. He has to get at least the mid-range or he has to be able to get into the post more efficiently than he does. But I think when he's on his own and he's handling the ball and Joel's not in there, I think he does that. I think he's a lot more comfortable. It's the fact that you have to feed Joel. You have to work off Joel. You have to play in the half court, and that's not the strength of his game. It's not the strength of his game. So uh, I hate what there was going to happen. I hope that Ben Simmons gets put in a better situation. I just don't know the situation that Ben Simmons can go to. Right? I don't know the situation he can go to to make it better. I mean, I'm off the top of my head, if I'm really just thinking – Maybe if he goes to the Raptors and they can come up with a sign and trade to get Kyle Lowry in there and get off some cap of Ben Simmons, and maybe that work. You know what I'm saying? If you can maybe get, you know, Kyle Lowry and Freddie Gillespie and some of that young talent that they that uh, the Raptors have, Portland. Maybe if you can get Ben Simmons there with um, with Damian Lillard, I think that would be interesting just because he could take a lot of pressure off of Dame. And when Dame's not on the ball, then Dame can run some off-the-ball sets and he can be the primary ball handler. And there's plenty of shooters around, even if you bring Norman Powell, you got Carmelo Anthony, you got Robert Covington, Dame. Like, I think that could work if you could make that happen. Um, Only other one I could think of would be Golden State. But I think you have to put Ben with shooters, right? And... If I'm looking, best packages would probably be if you could get CJ and something. Baby, if you can get CJ, Anthony Simmons, and I can't remember the backup. Uh, Zach, what's his name? Zach Collins. Maybe we can do something like that, you know, for Ben. Because Ben is making damn near max, but CJ making a lot too. So, I don't know. Maybe we can get something. You know, Ben's younger, so Portland's got to come off a little bit more, obviously. Uh, but Golden State got a nice package. I still think Golden State is dangerous. I don't think they have any plans of using those draft picks. I think if they go and they can send, uh, just it's just the guard play. They don't have a guard. If you're not really, you know, harping on that, and you think you can get a Kyle Larry, you think you can add to the wing, maybe would you take a would you take a Wiggins and two first round picks, and maybe shit i don't even know who else they got on their team that will be worth maybe a uh what's his name eric pool you know what i'm saying the villanova guy from the area maybe not eric Poole. what is his name eric pascal i said pool not just because i don't think they'll trade during pool so maybe eric pascal wiggins and two first and you can get ben there and then ben can run and handle the ball you got curry and clay running that'd be crazy um shit I don't know, man. They got to figure out something. But shout out to the Atlanta Hawks. Um, so now you got the Atlanta Hawks versus the Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, Bucks, in my opinion, should win this. But I don't want to count Atlanta out like I did Phoenix. I mean, I think Atlanta's a good defensive team. Shout out to Nathan Millen. Indiana Pacers thought they could do better without him. Fired my guy. Now they did Pacers a 10 seed and not making the playoffs. And the Hawks are in the Eastern Conference Finals. What do you say? I guess coaching does matter a little. Shout out to Nate McMillan. So I don't want to count them out because Nate McMillan does some good schemes. They have a lot of long people that can match up with Giannis. But now Middleton and Drew Holiday is becoming a problem. With Drew Holiday really been able to control the ball 
And I don't know if Bogdanovich is 100%. I think Drew Holiday's might be the difference maker in this series. And I would lean towards the Bucks winning this. Probably five. Um, gotta go with Phoenix. No matter what, I'm going with Phoenix. I went against them early. I look stupid. They, these are my guys. I didn't ride with them. I'm definitely ride with them now. And I'm riding Phoenix all the way to the championship because I think no matter what, eventually they Chris, get Chris Paul back. And Chris Paul gets the championship that changes his legacy. This is a legacy-building championship for Chris Paul. Chris Paul steps in, he gets a title, and it changes his whole narrative forever. You're going to start hearing Chris Paul being in the best point guard of all time conversations after he gets this championship and he beats Giannis. What he's doing with this Phoenix team is historical. It's great. You don't see many people change a franchise like Chris Paul is changing his Phoenix Suns team, which has been in the sewer, in the sewer since Steve Nash left. And he literally in one season, not just him, is going to get credited to him, but it's not just him. I've been watching. It's Monty Williams, Devin Booker's growth, and Monty Williams working with Devin Booker. It's the addition of Jay Crowder. It's Aiton coming into his own. It's Mikael Bridges being one of the better two-way players on defense and knocking down threes in the NBA. It's a lot of different things, but Chris Paul is going to get the credit, and I'm fine with that. Chris Paul is going to bring a championship to the Phoenix Suns, and that's my prediction. But that's it for this episode of you Read Me. Like I said, I'm going to, you know, listen to the new music. Uh, Tyler, the creator, got a new album coming out that I'm excited for. And then I'm also going to go through this Gnome 11 to see what I really think of that. Um, so maybe the next, by the next episode, you know, um, I'll have some more detailed information about if you're really in the battle rap and I can really break down the rounds and tell y'all which, who I think won, which round, and, you know, go from there. Other than that, man. This has been another episode of You Read Me on the Too Smart Network. Catch me next time. Peace. Now that's big facts. You read me.